All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CSA's webinar series on CSA research. In this series, we focus on the latest research in cloud security and related technologies. And today's uh, feature is specifically on quantum risk management for the Board of Directors. Just a few housekeeping items before we get started. We will address questions during the presentation, so please enter any questions that you have for the panelists in the Ask Question tab that's at the bottom of your screen. Additionally, there are not any slides for this presentation, so we will not be distributing any slides, but if you want to access the recording of this webinar, you can do so anytime by utilizing the same link to view the webinar again or to share it with a colleague. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by many wonderful panelists, but first I'm going to introduce our moderator for today, who is Maeva. Maeva is the lead for the Cybersecurity Best Practices for Blockchain Technology at CSA and is also our co-chair for the Blockchain and Distributed Ledger Technology Working Group. In addition to her work with CSA, Maeva is the chair of the Quantum Initiative Advisory Board for the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center. And she is also the Artificial Intelligence Ethics Advisor Chair for uh, the same center mentioned previously. As a scientist and an engineer, Maeva is a uh, research interest include quantum computing, cryptography, blockchain, and of course, quantum money. So we're really excited to have everyone join us. And without further ado, I'm going to turn things over to Maeva to get started. Hillary, thank you so much. Welcome, everyone. And thank you for joining us for this special event. My name is Maeva, and I am the chair of the Quantum Risk Management Roundtable for the Board of Directors. As Hillary kindly introduced, the objective of today's event is to kick off this important discussion of quantum risk preparedness for boards. And today we are joined by brilliant minds in quantum computing from multiple regions, Australia, the United Kingdom, Canada, the, Nether the Netherlands, and our United States. Our esteemed panel of experts includes Dr. Vikram Sharma, the CEO of Quintessence Labs, Mr. Ilyas Khan, the CEO of Cambridge Quantum Computing, Dr. Michele Mosca, the CEO of Evolution Q, and Dr. Mosca is also the co-founder of the Institute for Quantum Computing at the University of Waterloo. We are also joined by Dr. Bob Blakely, operating partner at Team A, and Dr. Eaton Barnes, quantum cryptography expert at Deloitte Cyber Risk Services. Please note that each member of our panel will have five minutes to help define this issue from their perspective, and they'll also share their work in greater detail during their opening statements. After these opening statements, our Q&A session will begin. So thank you once again for joining us today. We are so pleased to have you. Please start posting your questions in the Q&A box now. Thank you so much. So we'll kick off this next session with Dr. Sharma. Dr. Sharma, please help us launch our QRM for board's discussion. Thank you. Terrific. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Meva, and uh, good afternoon. Uh, it's a real pleasure to participate in this uh, important conversation today. Um, from Quintessence Lab's perspective, we uh, really believe that prudent risk management does suggest that boards start educating themselves on the quantum risk to cybersecurity today. You know, while the estimated timelines for a cryptographically relevant quantum computer range from 5 to 15 years, there is a non-negligible risk of this event occurring within five years, as my 
friend and, and colleague uh, Michele Mosca, through some excellent research, um, has indicated to us. Also, as the nature of innovation is nonlinear and, in fact, often surprises us with step change advancements. And further, the massive investments going into quantum computing do increase the likelihood of near-term innovations in this field. I'd also say that the urgency or perhaps even a call for timely action around this issue comes more sharply into focus when we uh, recognize that novel cybersecurity architectures and, and complementary technologies take time to plan, assess, select, and indeed um, implement. Uh, in the case of public key infrastructure or PKI, it could be argued that this process took 10 to 15 years to unfold in its entirety. And then you overlay this with the requirement, increasingly often something which is legislated, to protect certain sensitive data for extended periods of time and the possibility of so-called data harvesting attacks, where data is captured today and stored for future decryption. And the need for action in the near term becomes even more pressing. So while uh, quantum computing may be a catalyst, we believe that there's an opportunity for us to rethink and in, indeed rebuild foundational cybersecurity infrastructure to strongly safeguard sensitive data. The Internet, for example, wasn't designed with cybersecurity as a priority requirement. With the, the, the right forethought and planning, we can implement next-gen cybersecurity architecture, which is secure by design from the outset and uh, embraces the defense in depth philosophy. Within this construct, we could ensure that the design integrates quantum safe principles, of which four key elements within this framework are uh, firstly, true random numbers for cryptographic credentials. Today, random numbers used in cybersecurity applications are largely generated by software applications, which yield so-called pseudo-random. This could weaken the cryptographic credentials constructed therefrom. True random sequences such as random, uh, quantum random ensure that uh, cryptographic credentials will, or applications will operate at the design strength. And the second element is, is key management, which is crypto agile, um, and thereby supporting crypto algorithms which are in use today while allowing us to seamlessly, as seamlessly as possible, transition to future potentially stronger algorithms. The, the third element that highlights is, is developments that are occurring at NIST in the so-called post-quantum cryptography standardization process. These are algorithms which are believed to be resistant to attack even by a quantum computer. Uh, of the uh, 69 original submissions which were put in a couple of months ago, 15 have entered the latest selection round, and we expect final recommendations within the next two to three years. And finally, I'd highlight progress in the field of quantum key distribution, or QKD as it's known. QKD changes the paradigm by which crypto keys are exchanged. And instead of relying on mathematical complexity to protect the exchange of uh, encryption keys between parties, QKD leverages the laws of physics. It relies, in, in a very sort of simple sense, on um, the quantum property that the observation of a quantum state will change it. And in the case of QKD, this would reveal any attempt to intercept encryption keys 
encoded onto quantum states. We believe that uh, secure networks of the future will comprise a hybrid of post-quantum algorithms, probably in the main, and quantum key, uh, sorry, quantum key distribution technology for select sensitive links. An architecture strategy which seamlessly integrates these four key elements while allowing interoperability with extant cybersecurity investments is probably uh, uh, likely to represent a good technology refresh approach. We should drive the development of standards to define this next generation of cyber infrastructure and corresponding architectural reference models. In fact, uh, Quintessence Labs has been working quite closely with the World Economic Forum in initiating activities which aim to offer boards guidance on these rather challenging topics. Uh, if timely action is taken, the good news is that we have sufficient time to implement well-considered technology transition strategies and uh, indeed roadmaps. So with those uh, few thoughts there, Maeva, I'll uh, turn it back to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharma. Next, we have Mr. Khan. Mr. Khan, please share your thoughts with our audience, please. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Maeva. I'm going to now attempt a screen share, and hopefully this will come up in one second and share with the audience the uh, few slides that I've got here. And if this doesn't work, which it doesn't seem to be working, I um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to carry on verbally. Let's do it. Let's just do it verbally. Okay. So um, thank you for um, the invitation. It's a great pleasure to be here. And like all the other panelists, um, this is a topic of deep interest. My name is Ilyas. I'm calling in from England, and I'm the chief executive um, of Cambridge Quantum Computing. Um, I was going to make uh, three or four points which I think are accretive to what my other panelists, uh, I'm sure, will be saying. Um, and my perspective is very much based on our work um, at Cambridge Quantum. We are in London, Cambridge, in Washington and San Francisco, as well as having um, operations and offices in Japan and Hong Kong. As the name suggests, we're a broad computing company. We're on the software and algorithm side and our focus is on developing solutions for near-term application. There are, uh, as your audience may know, over 100 companies and organizations that have built or are building a uh, quantum computer, uh, some household names from Google all the way through to IBM um, and, and others and Honeywell, through to governmental organizations and, um, and startups as well. Amongst that uh, plethora of competing hardware producers, there's also an emerging infrastructure of software providers. Our focus is on quantum machine learning, on quantum chemistry, and quantum advantage in the next generation of maximal randomness that can be verified, um, which is certifiable quantum random number generators. The a couple of points I would like to make actually um, throw back somewhat to what um, the previous speaker said. We are also very involved in quantum key distribution development. And in fact, the um, invention of Professor Adrian Kent at Cambridge was recently 
um, confirmed as a uh, patent, an awarded patent, which is in the interest, Maeve, that you had mentioned of quantum money. <laughs> so it's ironic that, uh, that we're uh, on this call, and I'd be delighted um, if anybody's interested later on to expand on that. I'd like to complete my introductory comments by saying that um, I agree with Vikram that um, the fast-moving field and the most exciting thing that we are seeing is that people are no longer contemplating using quantum technologies to protect themselves, uh, but they're actually doing it. In 2019, Cambridge Quantum was selected by the UK government to provide a quantum readiness program to the top 50 organizations and companies in the United Kingdom. Since then, we've expanded that program to quite a lot of people outside of the UK. And it's no surprise that chief executives and C-suites were most interested in security aspects. Our perspective is that today, not tomorrow and not next week and not next month, existing quantum computers can generate viable quantum randomness, not quantum noise, not black boxes, and not quantum effects. This is an essential prerequisite to providing uh, protection today. And of course, at some point in the future, when quantum computers are an adversarial threat, it will also protect against those threats, but it has maximal protection today. So using this form of um, maximal entropy or randomness, we can generate classical keys, we can obviously generate post-quantum keys, and experts such as McKaylee um, will now be able to do what they've long aspired to do, um, which is to help provide solutions um, for this type um, of, um, of output, which is from Mother Nature. I'll close um, by saying that the um, Moscow inequality, the famous Moscow inequality, which many of us refer to, I think has come and gone. Uh, because there are clearly many um, pools um, of distributed information that have to be protected today, uh, bearing in mind that a quantum computer might be adversarially offensive in some period in the next decade. Uh, we ourselves are involved with a large uh, multilateral agency in the form of a bank, um, which is securing his extremal nodes, also, one of the world's largest companies um, is already implementing uh, PQE using um, certifiable quantum randomness. So this is no longer academic. I think had we had this uh, conversation about six months ago or a year ago, it would still have been academic uh, largely. Those are my opening comments, and thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, Mr. Khan. And now, Dr. Mosca, to share your thoughts with our audience. Thank you. Hello, thanks a lot for the opportunity to be a part of this important event. My background is actually in conventional, you know, classical public key cryptography. And I was very fortunate in hindsight to be mentored by some of the people who took elliptic curve cryptography from an idea to the globally deployed standard we all use today. It's embedded across most of our digital systems. There's a lot of important lessons I've learned from my mentors there. And when I first heard of quantum computing, I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of. You know, I proceeded through uh, Schopenhauer's three phases of ridiculing, uh, you know, dismissing it, then ridiculing it, and then eventually accepting it as self-evident. You know, and back in 1996, I felt that quantum cryptanalysis would not happen for more than 20 years. Uh, but I did feel that within 20 years, we had about 20 quantum bits, and that the path forward for a cryptographically relevant quantum computer would be clear. And indeed, that's how things unfolded. 
Uh, you know, when people try to dismiss quantum computing as always being 20 years into the future, that's just a silly comment, not, not aligned with, with the actual facts. Uh, my, my estimate of the 20-year probability went from 0% back in 96 and gradually to 1%, 10%. Now it's at about 80% based on the progress I, I've been following for the past quarter century. And at present, uh, I think there's about a 20% chance of quantum cryptanalysis in, in, five, in 10 years. And as, as Vikram mentioned, it, it's already not, it's small, but not, I never used to mention five-year odds, but I place it at about 1%, some people even at 5% odds. I mean, others at less than 1%, but you get an array of global experts giving estimates in that range, in the five-year horizon. Again, we don't want to panic, we don't need to panic, but it's, it's getting too close for comfort. Because a 20% or even 1% chance is too large to take with our most critical digital systems and assets upon which our critical infrastructures rely. Um, and again, because of my classical crypto background, I was very aware, while, while the, I believed I was following very closely the quantum threat timeline, I was also very aware of the long quantum, you know, the quantum safe timeline of the deploying new solutions. And so what have I been doing about it for the, the past uh, quarter century or so? Well, after I completed my doctorate uh, in quantum computer algorithms at Oxford, I came to Waterloo in Canada to start a quantum computing effort within the new cryptography center. Um, and as Mava mentioned, you know, after I, I got the Institute for Quantum Computing off the ground, um, I started focusing more on this migration challenge because I started feeling years after, a decade or so after uh, my initial foray into quantum algorithms, that the timelines for the quantum threat and the quantum, migra quantum safe migration were getting too close for comfort especially if we count for the, the extra time needed to protect long-lived information. Um, so I've been spreading the word for many years, uh, so chief global proselytizer in a sense. But generally, I found that people, while people logically understood the importance of getting ready, they didn't know where to start. Um, so about seven years ago, uh, I met the CIO of Canada who asked me what I'd do if I were her. And I said I would get prepared by gaining in-house understanding and expertise. So your own people can confidently plot the path forward for your own organization and the entire government in the end. And I would start that process by doing a quick analysis and mitigation of some government system, and then based on those learnings, expand that assessment and also look at mitigation and migration work. And she supported the idea. Uh, but of course, this is not a project I could do on my own in my spare time. So that's why Norbert Lutkenhaus and I put together our company, Evolution Q, we brought on uh, you know, global experts in, in, in cybersecurity uh, to, to, to bring, you know, to do this uh, execution of these analyses of systems and, and, and execute proofs of concepts. For example, we pioneered the quantum risk assessment, which you can align with your own cybersecurity risk assessment framework, and which is a natural first step for your organization to get quantum ready. You know, especially you know, since the early days, we've done customized workshops, uh, for C-suite and other stakeholders, and sometimes we'll do them for organizations like the Global Risk Institute, which brings in entire sectors to share in, in those learning opportunities. And most recently, you know, we've developed, based on all the learnings over the past few years, we've developed our first product to address a pain point we kept seeing, in particular, a quantum key distribution, a quantum network software solution, to complement the kind of work uh, that, that my other colleagues on this call do um, it's a vendor agnostic way to leverage an array of different point-to-point -point QKD links and an effective quantum network that can robustly deliver keys to clients who need them. 
So just stepping back, you know, right now we're seeing with COVID-19 that we just can't underestimate the value and importance of planning and being ready. And I would also differentiate between resilience against existing uh, attack vectors versus future and emerging attack vectors. We're generally not so bad. Our risk management processes, our risk governance is generally not so bad at, at, at dealing with at property valuing and mitigating uh, risks that are here and now. Where we've obviously failed colossally, uh, and, and it's not just COVID-19 and other, other you know, emerging threats, climate and so on, is in properly valuing and assessing emerging threats. And it's hard. This is not a, a criticism. It's just an assessment of, of reality. Uh, and we need to get better at that. But you know, the important message is we need to start the journey through the four phases of quantum readiness immediately. We can't wait till the threat is more imminent because then we're, we're too late to responsibly respond to this. Uh, so the four phases are just creating an awareness of the threat and the solution and tracking it. Secondly, assessing the impact on your organization and sector. Thirdly, come up with your plan. And lastly, execute that plan. So I look forward to discussing this path toward quantum readiness with uh, my distinguished colleagues. Thank you so much, Dr. Mosca. Next, we have Dr. Blakely. Please share your thoughts on this issue with our audience. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Maeva. Uh, so I am Bob Blakely. Uh, I'm an operating partner at Team 8, which is a <clears throat> venture investment and company uh, incubation <clears throat> organization headquartered in Tel Aviv and New York. Uh, but until recently, I was the global director of information security innovation at Citibank. And as part of that responsibility, uh, my boss, who was our CISO, assigned me the task of looking at the quantum threat to cryptography. So <clears throat> uh, I started looking around the market, and eventually uh, we created a task force <clears throat> uh, at FSISAC to study the issue. And we concluded that the, the threat is a real threat uh, and that while it is likely that we will uh, not see a, a large enough quantum computer to threaten production quality public key cryptography for about 20 years, uh, that's not necessarily good news because it takes 20 years to replace the cryptographic infrastructure of the internet and of business today. And so the, the conclusion that we came to was uh, we need to start work immediately on migration to a quantum safe future infrastructure. And after <clears throat> reaching that conclusion, we asked ourselves, okay, well, uh, given that NIST has not yet standardized quantum safe algorithms, and given that there is still a degree of uncertainty about what the actual date we need to plan on for replacement of the infrastructure is going to be, what is it that we can tell our senior executive management and our boards of directors uh, about what they can do now? So I'm gonna give you seven uh, things uh, here today that if you are a senior executive in a large enterprise or if you're a member of the board of directors, 
you can discuss uh, doing immediately. And then I'm going to leave you with one final thought. <clears throat> so the first thing, obviously, to do uh, in a business, if you want something to happen, is make someone responsible for it. I can't overstate the importance of this. Uh, if you are serious about responding to the quantum threat, I think it needs to be somebody's job, or at least part of somebody's job. So designating responsibility is very important. Uh, the second uh, thing is this is a, a, a topic of a relatively high degree of uncertainty, and there's also a requirement uh, for deep technical expertise. And it's unlikely that any one organization is going to hire all the experts needed to respond to this issue themselves. So the second thing that you can do immediately is start to participate in the community. Uh, you know, go to webinars like this, participate in standards activities, participate in industry groups, uh, participate in WEF forums focused on the issue, uh, and get involved in the places where you'll be exposed to expertise in the area. The third thing that you can do immediately is you can start to ask your vendors and your suppliers <clears throat> for their plans. A lot of your vendors and suppliers won't have plans yet, but if they get enough requests for their plans, they will develop them. And that's a, a critically important network effect activity. So I, I'm a big fan of putting requests for quantum readiness plans into RFPs uh, and uh, and other uh, solicitations. Uh, the fourth uh, thing you can do, of course, uh, in conjunction with this is to develop your own plan. So start uh, sketching out how you are going to migrate from the infrastructure you have today to a quantum-safe infrastructure in the future. And uh, the fifth thing that you can do is execute step one of that plan which is to build an inventory of the assets which might be susceptible to the quantum threat. So you'll want to know where you use cryptography, what you use it for, what kind of data you use it to protect, uh, where the keys are, and so on. Uh, the sixth thing that you can do is you can focus on agility. We don't have quantum safe algorithms that are standardized yet, and <clears throat> we don't know how long it's going to be from the time we get them until the time we need to put them into production. But what we can do immediately is we can start building an infrastructure which allows us to rapidly incorporate new cryptographic algorithms without having to recode all of our applications and all of our protocols. So crypto agility is going to be critical to this. And then the seventh thing that you can do uh, is you can conduct exercises. Uh, this is something that we did a lot in the financial services sector. I recommend it to everyone. <clears throat> the, uh, the nature of the exercises that you might want to think about uh, conducting are, uh, you know, if there is a breach of public key cryptography, can I find all of my public key certificates. Uh, can I replace those certificates quickly? You know, does my CA have the capacity? Do I have the certificate um, <clears throat> requests that I need in order to get them reissued in a, in a quantum safe form and so on? Uh, so there are a bunch of things that you can learn by doing exercises 
to understand what the tasks involved in recovery from a quantum breach would be. And then the closing thought that I want to leave you with is that uh, get building, replacing a, a quantum vulnerable infrastructure with a quantum safe infrastructure is a one-time task. We will uh, get over the period of quantum risk. We will have a set of algorithms standardized by NIST. Those things will be implemented and deployed. And then we'll have a quantum safe infrastructure. Uh, <clears throat> so from my point of view, the biggest risk that a business faces right now uh, from quantum computing is in fact not the quantum crypto risk. Uh, it is the, the biggest risk that a, a business faces right now is that it will not be ready and able to take advantage of the upside of quantum computing. Uh, lots of applications of quantum computing are going to completely transform entire sectors of business once large-scale quantum computers exist. And if you don't have the in-house expertise that allows you to take advantage of quantum computing advances uh, to make money, to improve the efficiency of your business, to develop new materials and so forth, you're going to be at a significant competitive disadvantage. So I'd like to close by endorsing something uh, that my colleague, Dr. Mosca, said, uh, which is the, the, the other thing that you should do, thing number eight, is you should absolutely develop in-house expertise. And the in-house expertise should be probably primarily focused on how you're going to take advantage of the good aspects of quantum computing and only secondarily focused on the recovery from crypto failures. Thanks a lot, and I will hand it back to Maeva uh, for the next speaker. Thank you so much, Dr. Blakely. Dr. Barnes, please round this out for us, and launch us to our Q&A session. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Maeva. <clears throat> I hope you can hear me. I was uh, maybe a little bit late. Uh, so my yeah, name is Tambor. Okay, great. So my name is Tambor Mess. I'm from uh, the Cyber Risk Services uh, of Deloitte in the Netherlands. Uh, my background is actually in physics. Uh, I did my PhD in, uh, in quantum physics. And after um, leaving academia, uh, I moved into the cybersecurity space, uh, and in particular uh, in the implementation of cryptography. Um, I think my fellow panelists have covered um, a lot of ground, so I'll maybe give a little bit of a perspective from uh, the things that we're doing. Um, so at Deloitte, our business is assisting clients with managing cyber risk, right? So uh, this is from defining strategy, governance, all the way down to technical implementation, testing, making sure that everything works. Um, as we see it, quantum risk um, is basically another risk in the cybersecurity landscape, right? So you need to understand what the threat is, um, very importantly, you need to understand how it affects your specific organization, so that the impact, and you need to quantify uh, the likelihood of this threat to materialize. Um, so in this sense, specifically for quantum risk, there are a number of, of uh, problems. Um, many of them were uh, discussed earlier, so just to give uh, maybe a quick summary of the things that we focus on. Um, this technology, quantum technology, is, is fairly complex. Um, there is a lot being published recently, also now with IBM, um, 
building, you know, larger quantum computers, uh, Google achieving quantum advantage. Um, a lot is being, is being published, and sometimes this information is misleading, basically just because this technology is fairly complex. So in conversations we're having with clients, you see that uh, there is great need of, of structured information to, uh, uh, to guide organizations. Uh, the second thing is that the solutions to this problem, for example, quantum key distribution, post-quantum cryptography, uh, is still not on, on the maturity level that uh, we feel confident in just implementing solutions. So NIST is in the process of standardizing um, post-quantum algorithms. Um, so it is challenging. So again, when we talk to clients, um, some of them ask us, okay, so what is the solution? Um, and it, it's not a very uh, um, simple question to answer. <clears throat> and another thing that uh, Professor Moscow was, uh, was discussing, uh, and also others, the timeline uh, of the development of this technology are also not clear. So there are estimates between five to, to, to 15 years. Some people even doubt whether this will ever happen. Um, so the urgency uh, is, is unclear. Uh, my fellow panelists, some of them said, uh, and rightfully, uh, even if we know that uh, the quantum threat will materialize in 10 years, some systems take, take at least 10 years to, uh, to, to renew, so you need to take action now. Uh, but we, we noticed that uh, many of our clients, the fact that the, the future is so unclear, um, it, it, sometimes, it is sometimes a barrier uh, to, to actually take action. So we are trying to help our clients uh, to, to basically answer these questions um, for their specific situation and to develop a strategy with them uh, to mitigate this risk. Uh, and a very important uh, aspect that I keep uh, saying to uh, in the discussion that we're having is that this is a long process. We know it's going to take years before a quantum computer actually uh, is big enough to, uh, to break current cryptography. Um, this is not something that you uh, do a quick fix uh, and move on. This is something you need to build strategy and to follow through, and it's, it's basically a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and there's maybe one point that I would like to uh, also to emphasize. Um, preparing for quantum risk, uh, this is what this session is about. But I think that we have a great opportunity here uh, to build our systems in a more resilient way to, uh, uh, to other risks. So a lot of the things that we see when we help clients to, um, uh, to mitigate uh, cyber risk, uh, cryptography systems are sometimes implemented in a, uh, let's say, suboptimal way. Um, if it's PKI, if it's database decryption, um, and preparing for, quantum, uh, for the quantum threat I think it gives us a great opportunity to look back to what we have, uh, spend definitely more time and effort in uh, an inventory, uh, um, understanding where cryptography is used in, all the, in, in the organization, uh, and making sure that it's not just quantum safe, but also um, resilient to, to the current threats. So I'll give the word back to you, Mariva. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Barnes. Thank you again, everyone. It was uniquely insightful to hear directly from each of you. Now we'll transition to Q&A. 
And to kick this off, uh, we, I'll start with some questions that we had already received prior to this event. So the first is from Tony Utley, the president of Honeywell Quantum Solutions. And he, the, one of the questions he suggested for the panel was, risk preparedness can take a number of different timelines from short term to 20 plus years from now. Why is it important for companies to be thinking about quantum-based risks and opportunities right now? Who would like to? So, so my I, shall I, um, can, shall I kick off because Honeywell is also my um, shareholder, so I should <laughs> if Tony comes through. So I, just disclosure to the um, to the audience that Honeywell Quantum Systems, in fact, Honeywell is a shareholder in CQC, so uh, um, perhaps I have a I ha have a declared conflict, so I'll, I'll pass on this one. Thank so you. Thank you, Mr. Okay. So this is Bob Blakely. I'd, I'd be I'll, happy I'll, to I'll have a shot at... Thank you. Um, so... What I, what I would say is twofold in response to this. The, the first thing that I would say is uh, <clears throat> that uh, changing infrastructure, particularly security infrastructure, uh, is like turning a battleship. Uh, you, uh, it takes a long time for the actions that you take today uh, to have an effect. And there's functionally no way uh, to accelerate your uh, response to a security problem. It, it's uh, in, in many ways similar uh, to the Y2K problem, right? If you have a deadline uh, and you have to do something complicated in the infrastructure, it just takes a fair amount of time uh, to, uh, uh, to make the required changes. So in, if you don't want to have a disaster on the day when the quantum computer is turned on, you have to have started working on preventing the disaster a considerable period of time uh, before the quantum computer exists. The second thing that I'll say is uh, that uh, the uh, record now, break later uh, problem is a serious problem. So uh, just because you will eventually have a quantum safe algorithm uh, doesn't mean that your data will all be safe. So uh, typically businesses retain data from anywhere between seven and a hundred years. Uh, and <clears throat> that data, uh, as long as it exists in a form where uh, it is encrypted using vulnerable cryptography, will be subject uh, to uh, theft uh, and attack by a quantum computer by an adversary who keeps it around. So if you think that the quantum computer is going to exist in, in 20 years, it's probably a good idea uh, to have your quantum safe infrastructure ready at least seven years before that happens and maybe longer than that. I, I would also add, um, I mean, that's, all, that's excellent. I would add further that if you try to turn the battleship faster than you can, uh, you know, with cybersecurity, you're going to obviously you're going to inevitably make design and implementation errors. So you're going to be even more susceptible to conventional attacks than you already are. Or you're going to develop the you're going to emerge with an even weaker cryptographic foundation. Um, and so, you know, and you're not going to you're also going and again another consequence of rushing is 
functionality and interoperability uh, and support for legacy also gets compromised. So there will be a lot of serious business consequences to try to, and as well as loss of trust and confidence in important stakeholders. So there's a lot of serious business consequences that don't even require a quantum computer if you rush your defenses against quantum attacks. Uh, this is Vikram here, and I would uh, just build on what my colleagues have been uh, uh, mentioning uh, just then. And I think a number of organizations are reviewing their current cybersecurity infrastructures today and ensuring uh, that they are well equipped, I think as, as one of uh, the co-panelists just mentioned, to deal with uh, contemporary threats to their cybersecurity and contemporary attacks. And we think it's an excellent opportunity now as you inventory what information assets you hold, what measures are being used to protect them, and how resilient that those measures are. As you upgrade those facilities, you should do so in a way um, which prepares you for the future. So as you're addressing threats of today, you have the opportunity to prepare for a quantum-safe future, and uh, we think the two activities can go hand in hand. Thank you so much. Did anyone else want to respond before we move on to one of the live audience questions? Okay, let's go ahead and address uh, one of the questions just received. What new methods of encryption are being developed that can protect both quantum computers and traditional computers in a, quote, mixed world? Who would like to answer that, please? So, uh, I could probably, I could this is Vikram here, I could kick it off, uh, Maeva. And I think, uh, you. you know, from, from our perspective, probably there, there are, uh, I think, two broad areas within which this applies, whether it's for a quantum computer or a, a conventional computer. I think the, the, the risks um, to the way we, we protect information remain the same. And the two broad approaches which are being followed, I think as, as uh, a number of us uh, alluded to in the opening, the first is, well, let's replace the mathematical algorithms that we use today uh, for data protection with stronger algorithms. And this is the thrust of the activity that NIST is undertaking. And they had, uh, I believe, an original 69 candidate algorithms that were submitted about two or three years ago into the process of this search for future post-quantum algorithms. I believe two months ago in July, that list has been winnowed down to, to 15 candidates. And it is expected that one or more recommended algorithms um, will um, be suggested in the next two to three years, so by 2022 or 2023. So that just, um, uh, I guess, gives you an enhanced way using conventional capabilities, math complex mathematics, to protect our information. The second approach is a complementary one, which in some sense changes the paradigm. And instead of using math, it relies on the laws of physics. And as a number of us have, have alluded to, this is the area of quantum key distribution, an emergent technology, which uses this idea that if you look at a quantum state in the simplest level, you've changed it. And thereby, if we have encoded 
encryption keys onto the quantum states and we're transferring them between two locations. If there's any interception uh, while they're in, in transit, um, that interception will be revealed and those keys could be discarded. So it provides an alternative mechanism, which we're still coming to grips with in the cryptographic community. We have probably 50 years or more of expertise in assessing and evaluating mathematics-based approaches. But with these physics-based approaches, while they offer a change of the paradigm, it, uh, we're still coming to grips with how we assess these, how we evaluate them, and indeed how we certify them. Uh, back to you, Meva. And um, I could uh, also address uh, again, the, question, the aspect of the question in terms of what about protecting quantum computers and quantum information versus you know, classical computers and classical information. And for the most part, the same building blocks, right? You, know, you, you protect access control to quantum computers using signatures and other classical authentication methods. And the encryption keys that you would use to encrypt quantum information are classical encryption keys usually. And again, quantum key agreement or post-quantum key agreement could be the method by which you establish the keys to, to protect quantum information that might be transported around. Uh, but we are starting to look more and more at you know, cryptography beyond the bread and butter of signatures and key agreement, uh, such as the, the tools we need, zero-knowledge type tools and so on for things like distributed ledgers. And people are already anticipating, like, what if I don't trust? How do I protect my... If I'm going to access a quantum computer through the cloud, I, I don't want my, you know, my most sensitive data to potentially be compromised. And there are methods for quantum obfuscation that are being designed. Um, in, I'm mentoring one company in this space uh, called Agnostic, and it's already an, again, an active area of research, and people are anticipating this. I, I think of this as sort of the next generation uh, of, of quantum-safe cryptography, uh, the primary focus, I would say. for So it's good to know it's important that that's on the horizon. Uh, and the first and foremost uh, thing that we're especially focused on today is in replacing public key infrastructure, including key agreement and signatures. Thank you so much, Dr. Mosca. Did anyone else want to address this question before we move on to the next question? Um, in the end here, I just maybe pick up on the um, point that the questioner uh, raised with respect to the, um, I think, the classical quantum sort of hybrid um, nature of most infrastructures over the course of the next three, five years. And some of my colleagues, I think Bob and Michele said this as well, but it's, it's important, I think, to emphasize that at least from our perspective, um, in addition to the point Bob made, which is let's learn to use quantum computers for the good that they can do and the incredible impact that they will have on lives. In addition to that, I think um, we see a migration away from deterministic algorithmic seeds that um, HSM providers use for all kinds of um, uses, particularly as we get into 5G and the Internet of Things, etc. So I think that there, there'll be this migration and, 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 and learning about um, the benefit of quantum rather than the concern or the anxiety about worrying. And we're already, I think, seeing uh, some of the largest, most important and influential organizations around the world begin to see that that migration will take place. Um, and I think this is something that we mustn't lose sight of because that migration will take place into existing classical infrastructure um, 
that's that's really an important development that I think is worth keeping an eye on. Thank you so much. So our next question was from Dr. Lili Chen, the group manager at NIST. Her question, her proposed question was, how do you recommend that board members prepare for a transition to post-quantum cryptography? And the second part of that question is, what are the barriers in starting that preparation, that transition, to prepare that transition now? Would anyone like to get us started on that? Yeah, so Maeva, uh, Bob Blakely here. I think I already answered some of this with my with my opening remarks. Um, but right. I'll go to the second half of Lily's question. Um, the uh, I think the the barrier, the biggest barrier I see uh, to addressing these issues uh, is just the uncertainty about the timeline, and also the the which is the, the uncertainty about the timeline is sort of an inherent. Uh, factor. Uh, we no, no amount of uh, uh, of research that you can do today is going to give you a lot of increased certainty uh, about the timeline. Uh, the other uh, uncertainty that you have to confront is uh, scope, right? So a lot of organizations don't have a very good idea of the scope of the assets that they have that are going to be vulnerable uh, to quantum. Uh, to to uh, cryptanalysis using a quantum computer, <clears throat> um, and uh, that is an area where uh, the board can uh, have an influence on reducing uncertainty. Right, so uh, inventory activities can be undertaken to get a better handle on uh, how long things are going to take and how much it's going to cost uh, to respond. But I, I think you know right now the the major uh, factor. Uh, is just uncertainty. And, and I guess, you know, the best suggestion uh, for that is, you know, a combination of, uh, of inventory and uh, developing in-house expertise. And, and, and I would, uh, uh, this is Bikram here. I would just add to the excellent points that uh, Bob just made there. Um, and uh, merely um, uh, note that an increasing um, set of tools and reports are starting to become available um, to help um, boards think through these rather complex and, and challenging topics. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Quintessence Labs has been working with the World Economic Forum, and in, in uh, um, several of the initiatives, we're looking to put out um, um, guidance at boards which uh, look to simplify in, in the uh, in the manner wonderfully that Bob just set out, uh, how they can go about educating themselves about what what basically the area of quantum is, what some of those timelines might look like, even though they're, they're fluid, and indeed, you know, what are the opportunities? I think, as uh, perhaps Bob mentioned in the opening, there's some tremendous step change benefits that will come as a result of quantum, but in parallel with that, understanding what are some of the, the risks uh, and activity. So I would uh, quite recommend um, that, that boards that are interested do seek out these resources and um, the information contained therein. And I would add Thank to you. Bob's earlier comment about put someone in charge um, because that, that's, you know, the risk groups and the security groups and companies are not very well funded. They don't have large budgets. They don't have a lot. They can't squeeze this on the the corner of their existing budgets, but for a small 
And so if they're empowered to do this work, which doesn't take a lot of money, and secondly, give them broad executive level support, because a, a full quantum risk assessment and migration plan is not something any one department can do. And it's hard to do it if you're kind of responsible, but then don't have the budget or, or authority to go and engage the broad people across the company. So I think board level support and mandate, which more than the money, can really help uh, move this along. Fantastic, thank you. Mr. Khan, did I hear you? Maybe sorry, I would just one, one more point, uh, Isambar here. <clears throat> sure. um, from a lot of conversations that we're having, um, because this threat looks like it's something in the future, then um, it gets a lower priority in the long list of, uh, of threats that companies are dealing with uh, anyway. Uh, and I would really like to emphasize to, uh, to everyone um, that we do have an opportunity here to, um, to fix current problems. So my fellow panelist uh, mentioned uh, an inventory. An inventory of cryptography uh, where it's used in the organization is not just a preparation uh, for quantum risk. It's also something that you might find a lot of gaps that you have at the moment. So it's not just preparing for the long run. Uh, there is a lot we can do to, uh, to fix problems uh, in, uh, in the near future. So um, I think that people need to think about this, not just, uh, you know, it's far in the future, but really incorporate this in the, uh, the short-term strategy of, uh, of cybersecurity. Thank you so much. I want to be respectful. We are at time here, but I would like to include just one last question to make sure we have, you know, full perspective. Is that okay with everyone? Yep. Absolutely. Sure. Great. This last question is from, thank you so much. This last question is from Dr. Terrell France from, from Harrisburg University. And his question is, how are you mitigating the technology failure risks that are certainly greater than zero in the quantum computing technology industry, and how possible is it that you will need to fail over to a plan B? Thank you. Um, so I, I, I imagine they're referring to, you know, quantum key distribution, for example, where, you know, there's this perception and that these qubits are exceptionally fragile, right? The, the, the first generation of experiments, you know, you needed a team, you know, pretty much 24-7 monitoring by grad students uh, to all constantly troubleshoot. So first I'd point out the technology has come a long way. These systems run on their own in the field without grad student intervention for, for you know, indefinitely now. So um, they're much more robust than they used to be. Uh, secondly, you know, for example, with quantum key distribution, um, it's, it's, it's layered on top of existing you know, public key methods. Uh, and with our, for example, our uh, quantum network overlay solution, there's buffering of keys. So even if a device goes down, uh, there's still real-time keys available. And secondly, with a, a connected network solution, even if some links collapse, there's alternative paths to deliver keys to the endpoints, again, in real time. And these are like really important questions that our government and other customers have been asking, and we're designing these, this kind of re resilience and robustness in. So there's, there's failover purely in you know, the quantum realm, uh, again, by properly designing uh, the, the software overlay to deal with you know, inevitable, uh, as happens with classical routers as well. So again, they're, not, they're, they're actually pretty resilient uh, and, and furthermore, there, there are indeed methods 
to deal with uh, you know temporary uh, uh, you know breakdown or lack of availability of one link. Um, absolutely, Michaela. If I could add to your your observation there, the, it's that software overlay that sits above the key distribution mechanisms that will really offer that resilience. And this is where um, advanced key management really comes to the fore. So key management, which offers, as you said, the, the buffering, um, the automatic failover, the, the backups of that key material. It's critical, obviously, when you have encrypted data that you have high availability um, of, of those keys. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to decrypt the, the data which has been so encrypted. So really important, I think, as we touched on earlier, to have high-quality key management, and particularly key management that is crypto-agile. Thank you Maybe so much, Perhaps adding to what Dr. Sharma just said and Michele earlier, I think that, um, and, and, and assuming the same uh, motivation for the question that Michaela um, said, I, I, I think one of the great um, fascinations of, 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 of this sector is that until very recently we were all guessing. So when people would ask a question, we would answer with a guess because the question was a guess. We now have installed quantum processors that people are actually using. And I think, um, certainly in our case, there are two global institutions that took the plunge a few months ago and have started installing um, quantum methodologies, certifiable quantum randomness for one, uh, as seeds for generating keys. And the best thing that happens is that the community learns and our questions become more informed. We do fail uh, and we learn from those failures, and we understand how we can then implement the next time better. So, for example, if you're going to be looking at um, how you know network security works on the distributed ledger, um, you know what does that actually mean if you're using a quantum technology? Um, up until recently, these these were guesses, um, and so now I think over the course of the next year and two and three there'll be less guesswork and there'll be more actual uh, responses that are based on experience and information. And I think um, that's the only useful thing I could add to what my two colleagues have said. Thank you so much. Thank you all again very much for your valuable insights and clear action steps for the Board of Directors. Dr. Sharma, Mr. Khan, Dr. Mosca, Dr. Blakely, Dr. Barnes, I'm extremely grateful for you know, the, the generosity of your time. Does anyone have one last final word before we wrap up? Thank you. Um, this is Vikram here, Maeva. I think uh, perhaps we're all aligned on the perspective that uh, the time for action is, is much more in the near term, uh, probably today, where boards of directors should, um, I think as, as one of my colleagues indicated, clearly assign a person within their organization to take responsibility um, for this, this uh, important topic and drive it forward within organizations. Um, the risk is if we get complacent and don't uh, drive this forward with a sense of urgency, we will be um, at a juncture where we are forced to take uh, rapid action which then exposes us to undue risk. Thank you very much. And with that, we end this call. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and a great evening.
Thank you.